You've dreamed of building a family, but the journey hasn't been easy. I'm Dr. Laura Shaheen, a reproductive endocrinologist helping people build families every day. On our new podcast, Baby or Bust, we'll be learning from both reproductive experts and people who have faced challenges just like yours. Join us every week for Baby or Bust, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to follow us so you never miss an episode. SheFit, we're so over beach bodies and getting bikini ready. You should be empowered to wear anything you want, except a bad sports bra. You deserve better. You deserve a bra with fit and support like no other. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually performs. Fully adjustable to fit your body with 50% less bounce than the Nike Pro. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Football week one, rock'em, sock'em week. Bad beats, coaches in hospital beds, legacy heroics, punters getting demolished, and a whole lot more. NFL cutdown day comes, LaShawn McCoy among the surprises, and what the bloody hell are the Texans doing? All that plus the most horrible and ironic way to die I've heard yet. Your bonus, 45 minutes of gloriously uncensored me is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. Oh, boy. Yep. This is... Huge, Jim! Oh my goodness! Who is this guy? Monday, September 2nd, 2019. Welcome home, people. We have made it. We've made it to the glorious shores of the promised land. Football is here. The rains have come. Throw your hands to the sky like Andy Dufresne and just let it wash over you. Glorious. In fact, I have come to appreciate over the years this week one in college football more because it gets to breathe on its own without what usually happens come Monday, in which we're all talking about the NFL. Now, I know you can carve out time if you're in the sports talk business like I am to talk about college on Monday. And I should do more of that, do a better job. But you know how the NFL is. It tends to Bigfoot things. Uh, Monday is overreaction Monday, and people are panicking, or they're elated, or they think their team is going to win the Super Bowl based on one week in the NFL. College football, with this last week before the NFL starts, gets to breathe. It gets its own spot. The only problem is many of us in the chattering class are off on Labor Day. Not me. I am on today on the Zabecast, and I am on in Milwaukee on 97.3 The Game. I'm off for Team 980 in D.C., but that's okay. I I tried to get on. I said, please let me talk. I've got at least four shows worth of awesome material to talk about. So let's get cracking. First of all, if you like this podcast, if you've been with this podcast, and you like what you hear, I'd really appreciate it if you subscribed. You get Fridays thrown in. It's $5 a month. And this coming Friday, we bring back football five ways Friday, which won't change your life. It's okay. It's nice. People really seem to like it. It's just what it says, football five ways. I go through a you're looking live, all the games in the NFL, with stats, jokes, leans, picks, sound, etc. Then I talk to Mr. X, get his picks officially on record. We kind of work through some of the games we like and don't like and see where we agree and disagree. Then we talk a little college football. 
Then we do charge with fantasy. And then the fifth you know, portion of football five ways is usually an interview with somebody from some sector or segment of the world of football. Coaches, players, ex-players, trainers, referees, personnel guys, agents, you name it. Football five ways Friday. Now, it should be noted, and I want to let you guys know this ahead of time, I am aiming to make football five ways Friday a 50-minute affair. I really want to cut it down. In time, over the years, I've, or over the years, last year I let it run long because I'm like, well, it's the internet. Just let it run. Well, what is it? It doesn't cost you anything more. But then I started thinking about it. I'm like, nah, people are here for a good time. They're not here for a long time. And 45 to 50 minutes is about the footprint of a podcast. And I think there's a lot of you that say, they look at the file, they go, Friday's file, an hour and 25 minutes. It feels like work. So I'm going to try to get it to uh, a crisp 50. And it'll move. And I hope you'll like it. And for the segments you don't need or don't like, you just fast forward through it. That's fine. But if you do subscribe, and it keeps me motivated, helps me expand the podcast in different ways, then maybe I'll buy that podcast van I looked at this weekend. I didn't tweet about it. I don't want to talk about it yet. It's still a gleam in my eye. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do. I saw this thing. Uh, it's a Sherrod custom conversion. Sherrod is based in Georgia. They're one of the top custom van and truck converters out there. Do a fantastic job. And this thing is used. It's a 2014. It's a Ram Promaster, which is a van that basically comes with the inside gutted because everybody tricks these things out into whatever they want. Uh, passenger vans, sometimes service trucks, plumbing trucks, mechanic trucks, you name it. And so it would really almost fit the bill right off the lot, but it's white. And I thought, God, I love this thing in black. And as I fiddled around inside with the chairs and the seating and swiveling the uh, the chairs around. I set up the microphones in there and I was testing the acoustics and I was seeing where I could put some GoPros to film doing podcasts and or live broadcast from the new Zabecast van. I thought, you know, I kind of would like to configure the inside just the way I wanted. And this thing, they were selling it. They want like 28.8 for it. It's a decent price for a 2014 fully tricked out. Called the boys at Sherrod and they said, well, you know, our base conversion is 25 grand. And then you go up from there, depending on how many more bells and whistles you want in it. And I'm like, oh boy, you know, a new ProMaster would be about 30. Now we're talking 55. But if I want this thing the way I want it, shouldn't I just step it up and get it the way I want it? And if it's going to be a write-off, Jerry, it's a write-off, then, you know, write it off. And on top of that, if I could just get 100 more subscribers, if I get 100 people saying, I wasn't in, but I now am in, here's your five bucks a month, five times 100, that's 500 bucks, that's most of the payment for this thing. Just get it, for God's sakes. Because then if I have this van, which will be the broadcast van. And I know I'm stealing the idea from Barstool and Barstool Van Talk. I loved what they did. I love the concept, but they got the most beat up rattiest van and they had Big Cat and PFT sitting in the back row, shoulder to shoulder, awkwardly holding microphones with their guest, who also I'm sure felt awkward. 
And that was brilliant, by the way. That is their brand. That's perfect. I'm looking at something a little bit more formal, a little bit more like a comfortable living room. So that way, like I said to you guys last time I talked about this, it'll be easier for me to say, hey, I'll come on by. Let's do an interview. They step into the van. It's nice. They got a nice cold bottle of water. Oh, I feel comfortable here. Let's open up and talk. And I could have multiple people in there. People have asked me for a while now, I wish you would do You Are Looking Live with Scott and Solly, the original threesome, because that's my favorite. You guys are so good chemistry-wise, and I said, I agree. But we also do that on 980 on Fridays. And secondly, we'd have to find a time to tape it. And that's harder than you think, believe it or not. Studio space, who's going to be where, you got to go run places. If I've got this van, I can drive up to the, you know, to the studio or to wherever and say, okay, let's go knock it out 10 minutes, and then we could do a profane, uh, no-sensor version of You Are Looking Live. So it's a possibility. If I get 100 people say, I'm in, here's my receipt, five extra bucks, buy the damn van, then guess what? We're getting a van. It's that simple. As long as my wife lets me. I'm just kidding. Okay, where do we begin this week? Why don't we begin with the coach in the hospital bed? You have got to be fucking kidding me. Hugh Freeze, coaching at Liberty now, had some medical thing go wrong with him, and then he had an infection, and then he couldn't leave his hospital bed, and so therefore they brought the hospital bed to the stadium, and he coached from there against Syracuse. How'd it go? Uh, Not great, Bob. They lost 24 to nothing. But before the game, Hugh Freeze gave this inspirational speech from his hospital bed via video link to his players in the locker room. And you got these orange men from Syracuse that are coming down to our place. They're the bullies. They're the bigger boys. They're the power fives. They're whatever you want to say it is. But here's the great thing about the game of football. You have 60 minutes to play somebody, and it really doesn't matter what conference you're from or, 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 or what your rating is. It really what matters is what you do for the given plays that you have out there today. And there comes a point in time where you got to stand up, AGG, and say, you know what, I'll, I'll put the gloves on and go fight if you want to fight. And, you know, I don't know what the outcome will be. It may be that we knock them out. It may be that they hit us with an uppercut at some time. But I do know this. They better dang well know that they've been in a darn fight tonight when they come play us in Liberty. Yes, sir. Narrator, they did not get a fight. Until this moment. So when you get out there on that field, just think about this. That's Anthony Jackson. They may call him Pluck. They may call him Orange Man. I don't know what they call him. I know this. You're ready to step in there toe-to-toe and fight him. Mike Tyson was the greatest fighter I ever knew. Till Buster Douglas knocked him down. And he never was the same. And so you get an opportunity early on in this game right here to stand toe-to-toe with them. Hit him in the mouth. Yeah! Yeah, coach. He he keeps going and going. It's like, all right, coach, we got it. You're in a hospital bed, and uh, we're here in video link. Thanks a lot. So most incredible sight I've ever seen was the coach in the window of 
the press box in, in a in a hospital bed, <laughs> play sheet in hand, watching on television. I think he had a headset down to the sideline. That is the ultimate hashtag football guy ever. Yes, and that's another thing uh, I'm referencing. Uh, <laughs> uh, pardon my take. <laughs> I do love when those guys talk about football guys and the kind of stupid shit coaches do. That's insane. Football guy type stuff. This was just classic. And of course, afterwards, Dino Babers didn't have anyone to shake his hand with all the state troopers around him. He just had to jog off the field, do a super sky point, Hugh Freeze up there, and say, okay, coach, there you go. I kind of wish what would have been great is if not only – because it it looked like a little glass diorama. It looked like a museum exhibit. Oh, and here is a North American hospital room. This is what it looks like. And then here's the patient, here's the bed, and here's the machine that goes bing. Oh, no, wait a minute. Hold on. I'm being told that's a coach actively coaching his team or at least helping out somehow. <laughs> How many coaches would fuck up clock management from a hospital bed? 100 out of 100. How many would burn timeouts needlessly just to avoid a five-minute delay a game in a tight game instead of taking the penalty? All of them. But there is Hugh Freeze, and what made it even better is when I had to explain who this guy was to somebody who's not that much of a sports fan, I said, and oh, by the way, this coach, oh boy, he's quite a story, was a high school legend at Briarcrest Christian in Memphis coached Michael Orr and Greg Hardy at one point at Briarcrest. He then got the head job at Lambeth University and then Arkansas State. So in other words, he is still a backwater, nothing burger coach. Suddenly he gets the job at Ole Miss. SEC Division One, and all of a sudden, He lights the burners on Ole Miss. Ole Miss was never more entertaining than when old Coach Hugh Freeze, who was the darling of the media from 2012 to 2016. Problem was, he was cheating like a motherfucker. Committed so many violations and paid off so many players to come that the NCAA expunged 33 team victories and gave it a two-year postseason ban. (laughs) He resigned from Ole Miss, not necessarily because of that, because, hell, if you cheat and you get caught, that's one thing. If you are a supposed Christian coach at a Bible Belt Southern school, and then they find out that you're using a university cell phone to call escort services? Oh, yeah. You gone. So he gets bounced from there, and you think, okay, this guy's never going to coach again. Massive cheater. Total fraud. Who's going to touch him? Wait, what? Liberty? University. A Christian school. Liberty has hired him. Yes, indeed. You can't make this shit up, people. Classic. The only thing I would have, the only other thing I would have wished for in that setup with the diorama of him up there coaching in his hospital bed was to really make it authentic. I wanted some balloons, perhaps, 
uh, tied to a chair, wanted some flowers in there. Maybe if you had brought in some family members just to sort of hang out and stand in the room and talk with him while he's coaching, you know? Have a nurse come in once in a while, check his blood pressure or something like that. That would have made it even better. The Auburn-Oregon game was the game of the weekend, no question about it. Thrilling Auburn comeback in the final minute as Bo Nix, son of Patrick Nix, former quarterback at Auburn, captains his way or starts and guides his team to a last-minute victory by throwing when everyone thought they were just going to run and count on a kicker to win the game for him. Absolutely beautiful. And then, of course, seeing the shots of Patrick Nix, who played at Auburn, coached his kid in high school, going crazy on the sideline, as well as his mom there and his whole family. And then afterwards, seeing the um, the picture of young Bo Nix in the stands right next to one Cam Newton as a little tough-haired fella, uh, just a boy of 10 years old maybe, when Auburn won and they won the national title. I mean, come on. How do you – you can't write this shit. It's so good. And, of course, Justin Herbert had a good game, but he lost, and so people are not going to say, is this guy really that good? I don't know. Mac Brown back at North Carolina. What is he doing? What is he doing? First win, his, his uh, first win at Carolina in 21 years. He came back. He started his career, really got it started. The big part of it is uh, at North Carolina. Left at Texas, obviously had success there, mega success there. Then it tailed off. Then he went to ESPN. And then he's like, I don't know. Shit, I kind of miss coaching. Why not? Money's good. It's fun on Saturdays. Let's do this. And North Carolina stunned an SEC school. It was a terrible weekend for SEC schools. Oh, by the way, the ammunition and the fodder for the SEC is overrated. (laughs) Is uh, already very thick. But uh, Mac Brown afterwards was extremely happy. Here he was with Allison Williams of ESPN. Coach Brown, you told us yesterday you need to wear him down and get it to the fourth quarter. How did you guys take over in the fourth and final quarter? Allison, just proud of the guys. These guys have had a tough time, and we worked really hard. We made so many mistakes. Oh, my God. And for them to win this game is such a a great win for those kids, uh, our coaching staff, and these fans, because they've waited for this a long time. What makes this win so emotional for you? Uh, I think just them losing so many fourth quarter games last year and the year before. And we just kept telling them fourth quarter, fourth quarter, and then we tried to screw it up. And we couldn't even screw it up. And, And this will be the happiest team in the country tonight because they overcame adversity. It will mean a lot to your team, and I know it will mean a lot to you. You made a promise to enjoy these wins more. How much are you going to enjoy this? I'm going to enjoy this. I've got I've got so many lists of bad things that we did and coaching mistakes that we made, and I don't care. <laughs> I am so happy. We'll worry about that tomorrow. We got Miami next week. I'm not thinking about them tonight. I love that. I do. I do. You know, college football is infectious. Because these are young men who love the game and get so emotionally jacked up and so devastated when they lose. It's such a high and low thing. And you've got these old men. Forget the saying, no country for old men. Old men like Mac Brown 
still want to be part of it because it makes you feel young. Good stuff there. Happy for Mac Brown. Also happy for uh, Sean Elliott. Who's he? The coach at Georgia State. Georgia State, a 2-10 bottom feeder in the Sun Belt Conference, rolled into Tennessee, got paid nearly a million dollars, and then beat the mighty Vols. Afterwards, this was priceless. He turned the SEC marketing slogan right around and shoved it up the conference's ass. Man, I want you to enjoy this thing. Don't ever lose lose sight of what you need to do when you win a game like this. I am so proud to be a part of you. Ten years, man. This program has been around for ten years. I said it out there. They say the SEC just means more. (laughs) Today's game means more. Oh, my God. I love it. (laughs) Using the catchphrase against the conference. Then again, it is Tennessee, and Tennessee's total disarray as a program is something to really behold. This, The new coach, Jeremy Pruitt, going into his second year, if he doesn't have half his shit in boxes already, I don't know what he's waiting for. It's just been a bad spell for them. I remember when Philip Fulmer had this program going and they were contending for national championships and they were putting through guys to the NFL and it was Peyton Manning and T Martin and the whole gang. Granted, they couldn't beat Florida. Spurrier used to love to stick it to him with, yep, yeah, can't spell citrus bowl without the U and the T. (laughs) And he just owned Tennessee, but that was a massive game. Florida, Tennessee, second weekend of Uh, September usually was the weekend. Well, Fulmer towards the end started to tail off and he wasn't winning quite as much. And people like college football fans do, they start bitching. And so in 2008, that was it. Curtains for Phil Fulmer, who retired with a record of 152 and 52 at Tennessee. Needless to say, none of the jackanapes who've come behind him have come close to that kind of success. Lane Kiffin, lame kittens, came by for one year, started talking out his ass, possibly committing violations, and was bounced in one year. Went seven and six. Goodbye. That begat Derek Dooley. Derek Dooley from Georgia, who everyone said, oh, this guy's good, man. This guy's high energy motivator can recruit. He didn't last. Terrible. Then the Butch Jones era. Arguably one of the worst hires in college football history. He lasted two painful years. He talked about how his kids were champions of life. Yeah, nobody cares about that. Win more fucking games. And now here comes Jeremy Pruitt, who's got all the pedigree. I mean, he assistant coach at Florida State, Alabama, Georgia. Same old thing at Tennessee. What did Tennessee do to the gods to anger them? Where did they go wrong? I'm trying to figure that out. And of course, in one of the most apt metaphors for the week, headline, boat in Vol Navy catches fire and sinks prior to season opener at Neyland Stadium. (laughs) And there's pictures of it. A boat on fire. Sinking. 
If that's not the apt metaphor for Tennessee football right now, I don't know what is. They've got a guy on Tennessee, number 12. I saw this still picture. His last name, Shamburger. That's the program right now. It's one big Shamburger. I mean, come on. This is the the school of Peyton Manning and Jason Witten and Albert Hainsworth, even though he turned into a bag of shit. Alvin Kamara, Derek Barnett, Malik Jackson, Jamal Lewis, Dante Stallworth, Eric Berry, Peerless Price, Leonard Little. You want to go way back? How about Carl Pickens, Dale Carter, and others? It's a debacle. On Friday night, Wisconsin got off and rolling. They killed USF on Wisconsin, on Wisconsin. I told my boy Getter, I said, how does it feel that now I am sort of officially on board as a fan of your college team? He said, I like it. I got to be honest. I watched more of a single Badger game than I have in my life, even though it was, of course, a blowout. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, sick. 18 touches, 183 yards total, four touchdowns, two and a half quarters. USF is not a backwater like Georgia State. Wisconsin just made him look silly. Quintez Cephas played, caught a catch. That was great to see. Also, uh, linebacker Zach Bond made the big play on D early in the game. A blow-up hit that returned in a pick six or a thumb six, airborne thumb six. Either way, uh, it was a great win by Wisconsin. Here's where USF, USF fucked up. They tried a field goal down 49 nothing, with 2.36 to go. They missed it. Yeah, that's because scared money don't make money and the gods are not amused. You're down 49 nothing. You're kicking a field goal? Why? Why what, what, you get free parking if you, uh, if you don't get shut out? That is a coward move and the gods said, oh no, we're not going to reward that. Suck on it. Also on Friday, Nevada got this game-winning field goal. Excuse me, game-winning field goal with... No time left on the clock. Tie game from 56 yards out from a walk-on. Talton to win it for the Wolfpack with three seconds remaining in regulation. Out of the hold of Fossum. Good snap. Spotted. The kick is up. The kick is on the way. The kick is good. The kick is good. Nevada beats Purdue. And last but not least, he's from Vacaville. He's from Vacaville. Congratulations. Outstanding game ball and scholarship. I love it. I wish they had let the video run a little bit longer, but yeah, game ball and scholarship. Walk on kicker. 56 yards. Make a Carly Lloyd joke? No. No, I'm not going to make a Carly Lloyd joke. Maybe he should just go straight to the NFL. I. Damn you, Zeb. Said you'd leave Carly Lloyd into last week, and you're not. So, all that is just a, just a quick sampler of what happened in college football. Oh, there was a bad beat as well. Uh, Stanford in a dreadful home outing against Northwestern, leading just 10-7, laying six and a half. Northwestern has the ball in their own territory, 
down by three, 30 seconds to go. Their quarterback rolls out, gets hit from behind, fumbles the ball, picked up in the end zone, touchdown, Stanford wins 17-7. They take a losing margin into a winning margin, bad beat of the week. Because it was the first bad beat of the week, people, I think, overreacted. They oversold it. Of course, everybody was adding, you know, uh, uh, Scott Van Pelt about the bad beat. And I said, all right, let me see this thing. And I watched it. And I'm like, yeah, I've seen way worse beats that Van Pelt has chronicled. I mean, to me, the worst bad beats are when a game is totally and entirely in the freezer with the door locked and somehow it gets out. I'm talking about bad beats that evolve over the last eight or nine minutes on six or seven plays. This was one play, people. You can't get too worked up over this, all right? A trailing team by three in desperation mode is going to throw pick sixes. They're going to get fumbled. They're going to get sacked and fumble. I mean, it happens. So let's not overreact. Nick Saban didn't overreact, but he was in prime midseason form, blowing a gasket. I saw that. GIF, that little video clip circulating. They started slow against Duke, but then pulled away in this neutral site game in Atlanta. Not only did Tua ta- Tungavailoa, I think I'm saying that right, Tonga, even though it's Tagavailoa, Tua Tungavailoa looked good, but his little brother, who also plays quarterback, got in and played. I don't know his real name. I'm, I mean, I know it. I've heard it. I don't recall it. I don't care, though, because to me, Thria... Tagovailoa is the best nickname ever. I mean, the best. Come on now. You got Tua Tagovailoa and Thria. <laughs> his little brother is going to follow in his footsteps. Which brings us to the NFL. So, the Dolphins are doing it right. The Dolphins, after trading Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills, who they were probably going to cut, got a couple of first-round picks from the Houston Texans. The Dolphins now have, and I had to look at this three times to make sure I was looking at it correct, two of every round next year, except for fourth. That's right. Two firsts, two seconds, two thirds, one fourth, two fifths, two sixths, two sevenths. As if that was not enough, they are going to projected. They're going to be projected to have 126 million dollars in cap space next year. Amazing. The bad news is there are there's a lot of players that seemingly want to say I won't play for an owner like Stephen Ross, even though Stephen Ross is a guy who has been on the NFL's Rise Project. Uh, which is a minority, I believe, employment community something-something effort thing. He was told to get off the board because they didn't like the fact. I mean, he's a Trump supporter. He's a not just a Trump supporter. He fundraises for him. Never mind the fact that he hires a black head coach and a black GM. That's not enough. So a number of players have been pretty outspoken, like, ah, I don't want to work for this guy, but we'll see. With that much money... They could uh, probably get somebody. The locker room loved Laramie Tunsil. Of course, he was the kid, one of the Ole Miss kids under freeze, who on draft night, somebody leaked a video of him with the bong mask, the gas mask bong video. And it was just great to see that thing uh, surface again, that that video, because, man, that is an all-time story right there. Didn't really hurt his draft status. 
It certainly is not going to hurt the new contract he's going to eventually sign with the Texans. More on that. Hold that thought just a second. And so he's going to be doing okay. But the Texans have fucked up in this regard. And this was uh, uh, pointed out by the former Jets GM who is now on ESPN, who was a complete fuck up himself. Former Jet GM Mike Tannenbaum. When he says you fucked up, that's really embarrassing because Tannenbaum was a fuck up. So he's on ESPN explaining why, hey, you know, the uh, Texans, (laughs) they should have maybe signed Tunsil to a new deal or got an agreement before this trade because there is a provision in the collective bargaining agreement that says you can do that. They didn't. So now Tunsil, if you wanted to be a real hard ass, could just hold out and say, yeah, I want, uh, I don't know, a trillion dollars would be a good starting point. You just traded two first rounders for me. What are you going to do? Trillion's a bit much, but you get my point. They should have done that beforehand. And secondly, on the Jadavion Clowney front, they trade him away to Seattle for just a third-round pick and spare parts, and they're going to pay half his salary. When when Mike Tannenbaum is saying, you fucked up, that's pretty embarrassing because he's not wrong. And this is what happens when you don't have a real full-time GM. They fired their GM and they told my doppelganger, Bill O'Brien, no, you handle that too. What could what could go wrong? Once upon a time, there was a trend in the NFL, you guys remember it, in which the super coach and the all-powerful coach, the Bill Parcelsian, if I'm going to cook the meal, I want to shop for the groceries coach, existed in the NFL. But you know what? It was never a good idea because a coach has to win now. A GM has to build a roster that is going to sustain itself, refresh itself, and be good for years to come. And the two imperatives are at odds with each other. Well, Bill O'Brien has to win now. So from his standpoint, he's thinking, okay, Clowney's a headache. I don't care. Get rid of him. Although he probably could have gotten more right away. And then you've got uh, a team like the uh, Seahawks just picking up a great defensive player. So the Legion of Boom is going to start building up yet again. Even though Clowney, I don't know how many more years he has, but that's a frontline defensive player for you right there. I don't get it. I do not get it. The Redskins cut Josh Doxson as well as Samaj P. Ryan. Well, color me shocked. I couldn't be more surprised if I woke up with my head sewn to the carpet, as Clark Griswold once famously said. I thought for sure they had come this far waiting for Doxson and they were going to wait for him one more year. Why not? I know they've got, theoretically, some good young receivers coming along. This kid, Steven Sims, who made the team, was a real surprise. He also showed showed out on some kick returns and punt returns. Uh, Cam Sims was cut but then brought back on the practice squad. He was last summer's fan favorite. Steven Sims Jr. is this year's summer fan favorite. And I'm telling you right now, I would be willing to bet none of these guys are difference-making receivers whatsoever because I can walk you back in time to other summer darlings that us Redskins fans are like, this guy looks really good, you know? And then they end up bouncing around the league and not doing much. Uh, Harris for the Redskins, who was with the uh, Patriots, caught a touch. You know, oh, Mo Harris, he's going to be a good player. Let's get more time to Mo Harris. Uh, Let go last offseason by the Skins. Cut this summer, I think, by New England. It happens. 
But Josh Doxson was a great player at TCU. A spectacular, wow, go jump up, grab the ball. The amazing, high-flying Josh Doxson. Who is Jay going to try to fade to now that Doxson is gone? Boy, Jay Gruden just wanted to hit that fade near the end zone all the time. Tried to do it. I think we've hit one fade pass in the last five years, which is fine. It's almost a concept that's kind of gone out the window. It's not that anymore. You don't. Randy Moss was good at it. Maybe one or two other guys. It's not that high percentage of a play. These DBs are too athletic. They know how to play it. So Doxon, who was a star at TCU, and when he was drafted mid-first round by the Redskins, nobody said, oh, that's a shitty pick. They said, ooh, this guy could be great. Big receiver, big ups, bust. Soft. Every back-channel report I got on him was that he's just a really nice kid, but he is soft. And when he came into camp this year and someone asked him, you know, fourth-year player, they didn't pick up his fifth-year option, which they could have, and they said, do you have anything to prove? He said, I don't have to prove anything to anybody. Well, that, their attitude right there. Why guys would say that is beyond me. Why they don't have any self-awareness of, shit, I'm fighting for my NFL life. But then again, maybe he's played football long enough. Maybe he thinks he's got enough money in the bank. Maybe he's saved it all. Maybe he's relieved that this is over. Football's not really for everybody. Not Sunday football, that's for sure. And then Samaj P. Ryan, running back out of Oklahoma. This guy was productive as hell in college. Huge numbers. Goofy offense. Fake outdoor arena league football. Production does not mean next level effectiveness. And boy, did that show through. He was a fourth round pick, I want to say. Third, fourth, something like that. And I remember the hype on Samaj P. Ryan after one preseason game two summers ago. Samaj P. Ryan. Oh, this is the guy. And I said, well, let's just see. And then once he started playing in real games, not only was he not good at avoiding tacklers, but he fumbled a lot. Bad. Can't have that. It's amazing because in college he was running through huge gaps and he was shifty and he was squat and he kind of had an ability to shed some contact. That's Saturday football though. Sunday football, he couldn't avoid. It's almost like he attracted contact and then he certainly couldn't shed it either. He stuck to contact. And then whenever more than a couple guys got after him, he would fumble. Sucks, but that's it. Gone, done. I'm happy to see that. Otherwise, there is some shuffling around. The uh, Packers, their notables from their cuts included back up to Sean Kaiser. They're going to go with just two. Tim Boyle wins that job. Kaiser was picked up late Sunday by Jay, John Gruden of the Raiders, who as of this taping had four, count them, four quarterbacks on their active final 53. That may change by Monday morning, but still, who carries four? Packer's going to go with two, and that's probably right, because if Rodgers goes down and then Boyle's goes, Boyle goes down, then you're fucked. And as one former coach once said, as Aaron Nagler told me, we don't practice fucked. So there's really no point at that juncture in worrying about it. Equinemius St. Brown put on the season-ending pup list. That was a surprise. So that'll be more looks for uh, MVS and some others on the Packers team. And here we go. Bears at Soldier Field, 
four days away. Can't wait. I'll have my VIP watch party in the iHeart Megaplex in Milwaukee with a bunch of listeners on Thursday night in front of a beautiful high-definition TV. It's going to be a great time. The NFL is here, everybody. The NFL is here. And LaShawn McCoy cut. Shocker. Buffalo just said, nah, yeah, no. We got this other kid who looks pretty good. and You're kind of expensive. It's like $6 million. Boom, done. Andy Reid picks him up right away. Now, I know as a Packer fan, you're saying, we could have used LaShawn McCoy. We could have traded for Genevion Clowney. Yeah. But for now, I think you got to say, and Goody, you trust. And here's what else, what else I like about this. You know, Goody traded for Deshaun Kaiser. Traded uh, Hundley for Kaiser, which I thought was the craziest. Like, they both suck. What are you talking about? But Kaiser comes in, does his best. Not very good. You're like, all right, not happening. This year, Gutekunst is like, no, didn't work out. He's not wedded to it. I appreciate that. Okay, this will end it for us this week. I, I normally try to end on a positive note. But I got to end on this one. This story is an all-timer in terms of, oh, my God. Horrible way to die. Horrible and or ironic ways to die. Arkansas woman drowns after being scolded by 911 dispatcher to, quote, shut up. Deborah Stevens, 47 years old, desperately pleaded for help as she drove into some standing water, got stuck, and then called 911. On the phone call with 911, the dispatcher, whose name has not been, uh, well, actually has been reported, the dispatcher, a woman by the name of Donna Renault, was working her last shift as a dispatcher and dispatch trainer. I don't know if that means last shift of the week, last shift of the night, or last shift ever. If it was, she went out with a bang. Here's how it went down. Uh, Officers and firefighters got inundated with 911 calls from other citizens who were also stranded in floodwaters that caught them by surprise. It led to a delay in aiding Ms. Stevens, who was frantically calling 911, asking for a rescue. She said, the water was all the way up to my windows and I can't get out. I'm scared to death, ma'am. Can you please help me, she asked. The dispatcher repeatedly told Stevens that she would not drown. Later in the call, the woman pled with the 911 dispatcher saying she's scared. That was when the dispatcher said she's going to have to hold on before aid can come to her. About 11 minutes into the call, the dispatcher scolds the woman asking why she drove into the water and telling her this would be a learning opportunity for her. Oh, she learned. I guess. She's dead. I'm sorry, ma'am, I didn't see it, said Stevens, when responding to the dispatcher. I don't see how you didn't see it, said the dispatcher. Three minutes later, the woman... The dispatcher tells the woman, a lot of people are going to put themselves in danger just because you put yourself in danger. Well, that's a a nice, sympathetic dispatcher there. Later on, as the water reached up to her neck, a panicked Ms. Stevens interrupted 
the dispatcher's instructions, to which the dispatcher told her to, quote, shut up. She started screaming, I can't breathe. The dispatcher said, Miss Debbie, you're breathing just fine because you are screaming at me, so calm down. Well, when they finally got to her, she had she drowned. Now, I don't know how fast the water was moving, and I don't know the particulars of it. I do know I've thought many a times, oh, man, do I know how to get out of a car if it's submerged in water? And being submerged in a lake where your car is sinking is different than being in raging floodwaters in which just getting out of the car is no guarantee because you could get swept away. I don't know how bad it was, but I know this. That is not the way you should be a 911 dispatcher. No, it is not. And with that, we'll say, let's wrap it up. Can't you end on anything happy, for God's sakes? Anything good? Anything funny? I gave you the funny early. All right, fine. I'll I'll give you a happy one to end on. Early Heisman Trophy favorite. Some guy who plays for a team that looks like the Bobcats, green jersey, not sure who it is. Uh, His number is number 69. I think this is a real picture. Don't know for sure. Last name, Titsworth. (laughs) Come on. Really? Titsworth. 69. Hold on a second. Let me check to see if this is real. Titsworth 69 college football. Come on, Google. Don't let me down. Yeah, there it is. Parker Titsworth, Ohio Bobcats, number 69. But of course, that's his real name. And that's the jersey he's worn. Oh, yeah. One more. Uh, Darnell Savage, now after the cuts have been made, is going to crawl into number 21. Get it? 21 Savage? That's a, that's a rapper. Yeah, see, even I know that. And I'm lame. I know nothing about pop culture or rap music. Okay, now you're smiling. Good. Done and done. Thank you for listening. I'm here on a Labor Day. We got a glorious week of football ahead of us. I'm headed to Milwaukee on Wednesday. It's going to be a great football five ways. Friday, I urge you, if you are so inclined, I don't urge, I just, I ask humbly. I could I could use your five bucks a month, and then I'll buy that stupid van, and then we'll have a great time. I'll, I'll drive the van around the country. We'll have parties with the van. We'll go tailgating with the van. Come on. Let's do this thing. Life is short, right? Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good Labor Day, and we will see you next time. More than one in three people will face cancer in their lifetime. Unfortunately, fear can stop you from getting your cancer screening, but it won't stop cancer. Early detection can save your life. Don't wait for symptoms to appear to act. Cancer screening is safe, effective, and accessible for everyone, including free or low-cost screening programs. Go to cancerscreeninfo.com right now for free screening resources and recommendations from the American Cancer Society. Don't wait. Early detection can save your life. Go to cancerscreeninfo.com today. Cancerscreeninfo.com. Com.